Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Very excited to have you here. My name is Ollie Richards, and on this podcast, we talk all about language learning. So if you're learning Spanish or Swahili or Klingon or whatever it is, this is the podcast for you. I've learned a number of languages myself, and what I do on the podcast is I help answer your questions, whatever they may be. But the other thing I love to do on the podcast is to get interesting guests from all around the world of language and travel. And today, I am thrilled to bits to be chatting with the dynamic duo behind Spanish and Go. Jim and Mai. Jim is a self-proclaimed gringo from Minnesota, so I'll have to figure out what that's all about. And Mai is a teacher from Colima in Mexico. And they have a website, a podcast, a popular YouTube channel, and they share tips and tools for learning the real Spanish you need to speak the language with confidence, travel more easily in Spanish-speaking countries, and have meaningful conversations with the locals. And that sounds about as good as it gets. Who, who wouldn't want that? In this interview, we're going to talk about how Jim who you remember is the gringo from Minnesota, got fluent in Spanish, how to dive into the Spanish-speaking world even when you don't feel ready, and some of their favorite experiences from Mexico and Puerto Rico. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's fantastic to talk to you. I really love what you guys do. And um, so I think I want to start with this gringo from Minnesota thing. So Jim, <laughs> you describe yourself as the gringo from Minnesota. How did you go from... First of all, what's that all about? And how did you go from uh, where a lot of us from, this, from, from, from a kind of English-speaking background come from, which is a monolingual, uh, to becoming a fluent Spanish speaker living abroad? Sure. Well, first things first, the thing with the gringo is in Spanish, there is a specific word for someone from the United States, but in English, usually we just say American, right? And I don't think that's quite fair because they're are several other countries from the Americas. And so I like to embrace the the word and the term gringo, which some people often think is a pejorative, right? Some people think mm. that it is something that is used to insult people from the United States. But at least in Mexico, that's not usually the case, unless you have some specific words attached to the term itself. So I embrace calling myself a gringo and I think it's it's kind of fun, and it's been quite the journey learning Spanish. You know, I started out wanting to get away from basically my desk job. I used to own a recording studio in my hometown of Rochester, Minnesota, and I loved that, but I had this desire to travel, and I thought, well, if I'm going to travel, what's the first step to get ready for that? And I thought, well, I should learn another language, and what better language to learn than Spanish? I already had some experience in school learning it, and it seemed like the language that would most open up the most opportunities for travel. And so I set off on that path, learning Spanish, and well, we can dig in a little bit more into the backstory there, but I am now sure. fluent in Spanish, and I met my beautiful wife along the way my in Mexico, and my life has just changed for the better completely. What a fantastic story. So you, you, you became interested in Spanish later on then. So you were already like a busy working adult and then you got interested in Spanish from there. That's right. 
Yeah, I believe I started learning Spanish when I was 22, and I was running my studio. Things were going great, but it was just one of those things where it's the same sort of situation day in and day out of recording different artists, which, I mean, maybe if you've never been in a recording studio, that sounds really exciting, but after a while, (laughs) (laughs) after a while, it's basically a job where you're in front of a computer all day, every day. And I wanted to get out and explore. I had a taste of travel in as a teenager because I was an intern for a company that uh, actually traveled with national touring acts, big bands like Corn and Linkin Park. And I wanted to get back to that. I wanted to get out and explore different countries. Yeah. That's, the reason I, that, that I find that interesting is that many, uh, a lot of the, the the case studies that I tend to point to involve people learning languages a little bit earlier. Cause I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like you, I didn't get into languages until I was nine, about 19 and I didn't speak a word of another language before. I mean, I had classes at school, but you know, you know what those are like, but often, you know, it's, it's quite difficult for, or there are a lot of perceived barriers for adults to really get into to, to learning another language. And often it's kind of a very practical thing. Like, Oh, I don't have the time. I've got kids. I'm, and these are very real, real obstacles. Right. So um, I'm always, I always love hearing stories like yours, Jim, when you've actually kind of, you've had to really go for it and really, really own that, that decision. So did you start um, sort of studying in the background uh, whilst you were working or did you, was it like a clean break and then right, I'm off to learn Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually I was working part-time, aside from my studio job, at a local organic food co-op. And there, there were actually several other coworkers who had learned Spanish or were learning Spanish. So they actually gave me the first resources that helped me out the most. First was a book from Margarita Madrigal, and that was The Magic Key to Learning Spanish, which is kind of a cheesy-sounding name. It's a book that was written in the 50s, but it, it still is a fantastic book. technique for learning Spanish. And that basically gave me the foundation for learning Spanish. Once I got through that book, I was just spending every day reading a chapter and, and trying to read out the different phrases out loud. And then another coworker recommended a website for language exchange. And that's where I met Maya. And maybe she can take the story on from there. Maya, you haven't been talking much. I've been <laughs> hogging the microphone over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that, I was going to, I was about to, uh, to switch over to my, so, so my, what, let's, let's, let's get there. Let's get to the conversation exchange thing. So while Jim was busy doing all of this sounds very glamorous work in, in, um, back home, what was, what was your story, um, leading up to that point? Yeah, well, I went to college to become a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher since I was very little. I didn't know what I wanted to teach. But then I realized that, huh, English is not that difficult for me. And I was always helping my friends um, with like the grammar and stuff, uh, the homework from school. And so I thought, huh, why don't I study how to become a teacher? And I have this friend in college. I had this friend. Um, and she was great with languages. She spoke Spanish as a first language, and then she spoke English, and then German, I think, French, Italian, and her accent was just like perfect at all of them. And I asked her, like, what do you do? 
like because we were not learning Italian uh, in college. We were not learning like super advanced um, French. And she told me about the same website. And so after I graduated, I started working at a private school. I was teaching children mostly um, and I was teaching English, but I wanted to keep practicing because I knew that without having my assignments, you know, homework and projects, I wasn't going to be able to keep practicing or like learning. I knew that I was going to be spending most of my time planning and just going over things that I already knew. And so I decided, well, if I want to improve my English skills, I'm going to find someone who is going to help me, someone who wants to learn Spanish and someone who is a native speaker of English. And that's that's how I met Jim. <laughs> Fantastic. And that was on a, on a conversation exchange uh, website or something like that? Yeah, yeah. The website is um, italki. But I don't but, believe they have that feature yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, I don't know. Mm. It has changed. Um, but before yeah. it was kind of like a Facebook where you you could like find people with similar interests. You could filter people based on your yeah. likes, right? And so it was very fun. Um, I remember having a couple of friends from France and we would uh, just write like long emails <laughs> and then just yeah. uh, be like back and forth, just writing and practicing um, with other people. But with Jim was different. I feel like we had a lot of things in common. We both wanted to explore. We wo we both wanted to travel. Um, and so that's, that's how it all started. Then we started this. Yeah, chatting every single day on Skype and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the, la the language practice turned gradually into something else. I love this yeah. story because, um, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, well, when I first got started with languages, this was like early 2000s, you know, the internet, there was nothing on the internet at that mm -hmm. point other than Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, um, and so I, I learned my first languages without any help from there. So I, I kind of had to travel a lot and make friends locally in London who spoke those languages. But later on when, when I was, um, when I, when I started to, to learn other languages, I made really heavy use of these conversation exchange websites um, because it was just such an obvious way to, to connect with people because mm -hmm. I've, I've often found with, with language exchanges in general that it's actually quite difficult to make it work because because you might want to, you might have two people that want to practice a, lang a mutual language, but with a language exchange, you're spending a lot of time with them, but often more time than you do with your friends, right? So you have to mm -hmm. get on and have shared interests. Otherwise, it's very difficult to strike up a, a relationship. Absolutely. So these conversation exchange websites were really useful because, like you say, you can filter through uh, by interest, mm -hmm. and it makes it much more likely that you're going to you're going to uh, find someone who you've got those shared interests. Um, with and so I remember using websites like there was conversationexchange.com mylanguageexchange.com I believe they're, they're still around these days and, and then like, yeah like, like you said later italki had a, a feature like that which the, maybe they don't have anymore so it's kind of come and go but it's, it's really great to see that um, that, that, that you guys also um, made use of that and then eventually you know ended up getting married through that it's such a wonderful story yeah <laughs> yeah that was definitely a huge catalyst for me being able to speak with somebody, you have that motivation, right? You want to answer the person if they send you a message and and share a little bit more about yourself. And that kind of keeps you going, right? Rather than just reading a book, which again, Madrigal's book was 
great as a foundation for me, but to keep going and to actually start learning about other people from other countries and learning about uh, their cultural differences and, and their story yeah. is one of the biggest factors in learning a language to, to keep you going and to yeah. keep improving. You really, there really is no substitute for human to human contact. Absolutely. Uh, there. But I guess one of the, one of the reasons I am such a fan of teaching through stories is that for those times when you can't have that person to person contact stories, are really going to give you a way to escape into other worlds and, um, and to kind of inspire you through, through, through fiction. So my, um, you, trained to be a teacher and then you imagined yourself becoming an English teacher. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So then, but now am I right in thinking that you teach Spanish full time? You're, you're, yeah. you're devoted to teaching Spanish. How did you make, how did you adapt to that? Did you have to kind of learn how to teach Spanish <laughs> in, a, in a different way? How, how was, how was that? Well, I had, I had some um, courses in university that were all about also Spanish because some people think that by learning a language you can teach it, but it's very difficult to be able to actually teach what a person needs to learn, right? It's not just like, oh, we say it like this because that's how it is. <laughs> and um, so I took some courses in when I was in college to be able to also teach Spanish, but in, I was living in Mexico. So in Mexico, people already speak Spanish. <laughs> so I was focusing more on teaching um, English. But then once in a while, some people would hire me to be like a private um, Spanish teacher and we would go over some grammar. Uh, it was mostly conversation. Um, so that's when we when we met, I was actually teaching someone from Germany who had just moved to the town where I was living and working in and yeah, after after meeting Jaime and after him traveling to Mexico for the first time, I experienced being like a guide, you know, or being like a connection between someone and my country and my culture. And I thought it was awesome. I was being like a tourist guide uh, the first time he went to Mexico and he went to meet my family. We we were traveling all over the place. One day we would go camping on a beach and then we would go to my hometown and then I showed him around all these places that mean something to me. And I thought, huh, this is very interesting. I bet there are more people out there who would like to have this experience. And even before we talked about getting married and having like a relationship, we started talking about providing this for other people. So when we met in real life, we were both like, huh, this is pretty cool. Maybe we could do it in the future with other people. And yeah, now we we do Spanish immersion retreats in Mexico, which is basically the same thing Jim and I were doing when we first met. Oh, that's fantastic. That's, right. that's fantastic. Yeah, l languages really do have a habit of bringing together like-minded people, don't they? So, yeah. um, so, so Jim, tell me about these these um these immersion retreats that you that you run them because you you well actually you do you guys do so much so maybe maybe before <laughs> that you give me an overview of what you guys actually do online from the website to the youtube to the podcast and and then mm -hmm. link it all up for us so we know your what your universe is sure so 
as Maya alluded to early on in our relationship, we talked about the idea of helping people connect to Spanish speaking countries. We were fascinated by travel and by learning about each other's cultures. So we thought, oh, we should start a podcast. And we actually did start recording uh, a number of episodes, I think over 10 episodes, which for whatever reason we decided not to publish, we still have them um, recorded. 10 and years ago. <laughs> but we decided to pivot. We thought, because we're inspired by other bloggers, we thought, well, maybe there's another way to do this. It seemed like the way to go was with video. Like video was the future because it encapsulated everything, right? You could see what was going on. You could hear everything. And it was just a another way to really show people around another country. I mean, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to see it happen. And so we decided to start the YouTube channel and we started creating videos showing people very specific situations that they're going to find themselves in when uh, speaking Spanish. So things like how to order food in Spanish. We would actually go to a restaurant in Mexico and film the whole thing, put microphones on, set up the camera. A lot of the time we didn't even tell the staff what was going on and they were cool with it. They just went with it because we didn't want it to be scripted. We just wanted people to hear exactly yeah. the type of speech they're going to hear when they travel to a Spanish speaking country. So we made a num number of travel-based videos like that, how to make small talk, how to ask for directions. And those are the videos that really helped, uh, they really got picked up by the YouTube algorithm, I guess I would say. Those seemed to be the videos that resonated most with people. And so then we started creating other videos about cultural aspects and uh, cost of living videos in Mexico and here in Puerto Rico. And so that was part of the business. But then we thought, you know what, we should create an experience like we thought of early on where people could actually join us in Mexico. And that's how we came up with the idea of the Spanish immersion retreats. So we started running those, was it in 2019? Mm -hmm. We had our first retreats and we started in Guanajuato City in Mexico, which is, in my opinion, the most beautiful city in Mexico. And we brought a small group of uh, 10 people down with us to join us for a week and every day included Spanish lessons. And then when we would go out and put what we learned into practice. So one day, like in our videos, we would talk about ordering food in Spanish, and then we would actually go out and practice those different phrases together in Mexico and include those cultural components. Do you do this components. for beginners? Is it beginner level or, or, or higher? Or how, how, do you, how do you pitch it? All levels. Now we actually split, uh, we split the groups into separate groups. So we'll do, uh, hopefully when retreats start up again, we're going to announce two retreats, hopefully for later this fall. We'll see how things go uh, in the world. But the first group would be beginner to intermediate. And then the second group would be intermediate to advanced. So we try to group uh, the students together with like leveled individuals. Mai, when, when, you are, when you are working with these, these students, um, in these retreats, or, or I guess online as well, but I guess on the retreats you get to see the you know you can't there's no hiding can you you get to see the real the real deal. What kind of mistakes are most common among English speaking people learning Spanish? Yeah, we have noticed that 
many people who start learning on their own have some very particular things about pronunciation. So when you start learning with just books or, you know, just on your own looking for things and translating on your own, you are not really um, like paying attention to vowels in Spanish. They sound different in Spanish. And a lot of people um, try to speak the, the language, try to speak Spanish with the same pronunciations they have in English. And so... That's something that we focus on a lot, pronunciation and having people like really exaggerate <laughs> the, yeah. the letters, the words they're saying. Do you think that this is a, is it a linguistic challenge or a psychological, even sociological challenge? Yeah, I don't know. It could be both. I know that a lot of people don't like, well, no one likes to be made fun of, right? No one likes mm. to feel like, oh, this is not how I'm supposed to be saying things. Everyone is afraid when they when we're starting um, speaking a second language. So we often tell them, you know, this is a safe zone. You can make mistakes here and mistakes are going to help you because they're going to show you where you need to pay more, more attention. And so we... We try to help people, just telling them it's okay. You are going to make mistakes. Yes, this is not the way you're supposed to be saying it, but this is how you say it. And so just it's just like practice and practice. And that makes people feel more comfortable with, yeah. with the idea of making mistakes and improving from there. I, I remember... Because now after so many, you know, years of learning languages, like for me now, accent is, I kind of like to wear accents as a, as a badge of pride in a way. If I've, mm. I often uh, kind of associate the quality of my accent with how well I'm speaking the language. But I do remember when I was younger and we would have French classes in, in school, in, in high school, um, secondary school, as we call it here, for a sort of 14 year old, to speak French or to try to speak French with a French accent would have been incredibly embarrassing yeah. because, because <laughs> English and French, they sound so different, you know? Yes. And if I had like, if I had started the, to, to say things avec, avec un accent français like mm. that, people would have just like rolled around on the floor laughing at me. And so there was like, the the social pressure would have been such that I would have I would have just kept talking with an English accent, said right. the words in French, just because I didn't want to stand out or risk being made fun of. So I think it's quite a it's quite a real thing for people. And also, if you um you know if you, I think also the older you get, the harder it gets because you've been just you 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 speak you've been speaking your own language for so many years mm -hmm. that to suddenly you have to start to make all these different sounds in your mind. It's, 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 it affects your 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 sense of of self um, in quite a big way. I think I, I, I was just curious whether you find that people really want to speak Spanish, but they almost won't let themselves out of some kind of guarded thing. Right? Yeah, most people feel like they need to study a bunch of like grammar and they want to spend all this time and money on courses and then get to speaking when they are ready. And I say ready, like entre yeah. comillas, like we say in Spanish, um, because you are never going to be ready, right? Like 
when you are doing something that's going to help you improve as a person, you're not going to feel like, okay, yes, I'm ready to, to, I don't know, start surfing now. I'm going to go and I'm not going to fall because I am ready and I have practiced. I have read all of these books, but it's different. Like when you are just starting a language or speaking a language, you're going to make mistakes. And that's perfectly normal. That's, that's part of your learning process, right? So we need to let people know <laughs> as teachers, I think that it's okay to make mistakes. In fact, you need to make mistakes so you know what you need to improve on. I think that was a great example, Mai. When you're learning to surf, you're going to fall. And the same goes for languages. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to embarrass yourself. But I think you made a great point, Ollie, in that a lot of people, especially from the United States, who the majority of don't speak a second language, the idea of speaking a second language is scary. And I think people are too afraid to put on a Spanish accent when speaking because just trying to speak another language is scary enough, but then to try to intimidate what an actual Mexican really sounds like or an actual Spaniard really sounds like is frightening. And it reminds me of that meme with Fry um, from, oh, what's that show? It doesn't matter, but he's, he says, should I um, say it correctly with an accent and sound pretentious or should I sound it, should I say it with my regular native language accent and sound ignorant. And I think that that meme <laughs> well, yeah, really yeah. expresses that yeah. idea perfectly. It was so it's funny because I'm, I'm in the middle of preparing this, uh, making a YouTube video right now where I'm, I'm going back through uh, various American presidential candidates from the last couple of rounds because, you know, they all make a show of trying to speak Spanish at some point. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I've been like, I've been, taking these clips of these presidential candidates and then looking at their Spanish. And it's so funny how everyone's a little bit different. You've got, um, <laughs> you've got um, someone like Jeb Bush who actually speaks really good Spanish and he can like deal with live press conferences in Spanish. And then really? you've got people, people like um, Hillary Clinton who don't speak a word of Spanish, but will kind of chant a slogan given half the chance. <laughs> And then, sure. but then there are then there are people. Then, then I, there was um, there was uh, you have uh, like Beto O'Rourke who who is from Texas and actually speaks fairly good Spanish, but, but really tries hard. And then I found this video of of uh, Rick Scott, who's a Republican at a at a Trump rally, uh, doing giving a whole speech in Spanish, but it was it was uh, he made zero effort to have to make any kind of uh, Spanish pronunciation. So he was literally saying, El Partido Democrata de Joe Biden se ha convertido. And, 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 I just, and it, was, it was incredible, incredible watching that because he was actually, the Spanish he was saying was perfect. It was, it was probably mm -hmm. scripted. But sure. I was just wondering what was going on in his head. Like, okay, you're, you're trying to communicate with, with Hispanic voters and you're, you're, you're totally comfortable speaking with a complete, like making no change whatsoever from your American accent when you speak. Mm -hmm. There's something going on there. I don't, I don't know whether it is a question of trying to save face or, or come across as like strong or something. But yeah, I, I, it's been on my mind recently that, that whole, um, what the accent means, what making accents means, means to people in different ways. 
Yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting topic to dive into because especially in the political realm, there's a lot going on there, right? Like it could be that they don't want to sound too Spanish because that makes them right. unrelatable to to their audience. And yeah. so, yeah, that that's an interesting topic to unpack. Yeah, I, I bet there are these 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 moments are so important in debates and, and at rallies and stuff because they get televised everywhere. I have no doubt that that the, the sort of campaign strategy teams behind the scenes are are carefully planning what to what to do. Um, and there was another very funny one from this guy Cory Booker, who um, who clearly doesn't speak Spanish, uh, but he'd memorized this one line, and I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something like. Um, ahora voy a cambiar esto, something like that. But when he when he spoke, he rolled all of the R's that he could find in his sentence. So he was like, <laughs> ahora voy a cambiar esto, uh, and, and you could only do that if you'd memorized the the mm -hmm. line. Uh, mm -hmm. so it was so funny. But at the same time, I really respect you know actually getting up and having a having a go. It was it was it was super funny. Um, so. Jim, I guess where you would differ slightly from my is that you can, when you're working with these Spanish, with these, with these, uh, with these students of Spanish or students in these immersion retreats, you get to, you can recognize the path that they're on, right? right. So whereas, whereas my, you're coming from the perspective of a native speaker, I'm mm -hmm. analyzing the language. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jim, obviously you can do that as well, but you can also relate to them in, in because you've been through that process. So you can see. Like when this person is making this mistake in this situation, I, I remember what it was like to be in that situation. Exactly. So does that, do you see anything different from that perspective with the students? I'd like to think, I'd like to think so because when I share my struggles with them, oftentimes I see their, their heads nodding because it's likely that they've gone through the same thing. And it's interesting to hear their questions and the questions they choose to direct at me versus my, because it's almost mm. like maybe in some cases they're too embarrassed or think my won't understand where they're coming from with some of these questions. Like sometimes, for example, people ask me about numbers because numbers aren't overly difficult to, to memorize, I guess, in, in my opinion, but the pronunciation can be confusing. So it's interesting to me when they come to me for pronunciation tips, because maybe they think that I've been able to uh, reduce my accent to the point where I can give them a little bit more insight versus my who grew up learning it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's harder to explain why you speak your native language so well, right? It's just something that happened over time. Whereas someone who's learned a second language and has been able to reduce or eliminate their accent in a second language is uh, certainly going to have some more insight as to how to do it. And I think that's probably their, their thought process there. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see that angle. So I think together we're able to help people out quite a bit because my comes from the language education background, which was your degree, um, where it's the application of how do you go about teaching someone a language, not necessarily just English, right? Because you had several classes that were really just focused on the application of teaching a language, no matter which one, mm -hmm. and me coming from the the background of You've an done. American yeah. <laughs> who has been able to learn a second language, which is 
generally kind of rare. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm really interested in this, in the fact that certain questions they'll direct at you and certain questions they'll direct at my. Um, <laughs> are there any more examples you can think of of that or any patterns? Oh, good question. Yeah, I think it's usually about pronunciation, but... See, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you would have thought that the pronunciation questions you direct to the native speaker. Yeah, and they come to me with like the cultural stuff, you know, like if they see children playing around on the streets at, I don't know, 10 a.m. and they're like, ah, is there school today on a Wednesday morning? Why is that kid not like in school? And then we get yeah. to talking like, oh, yeah, school is uh, uh, mandatory, but some people don't send their kids to school because they they have them helping them work or something, you know, like little things like that that. Right now, it sounds so sad, but we come across these things when we are traveling, when we are showing them um, the the city, we mm. see a lot of things that they don't understand. And so they come to me with those questions like, oh, why, why is that like that? Or what's going on here? Yeah. Why are there so many dogs out and about? Yeah. And that's a cultural difference. It's not necessarily the fact that they're all strays, which... In many cases, they're not. Mm -hmm. But in a city like Guanajuato, usually people just let their dogs out during the day and then they come back home at night. <laughs> yeah. And that is a major cultural difference. So mm -hmm. I think you have a good point there. People do tend to go to you about the cultural differences mm -hmm. because even to me, some things are, I mean, they're not nearly as strange as they used to be because mm -hmm. we've spent years living in, in Mexico and now in Puerto Rico. But I think you have a little bit more insight to give as someone who's lived with that most of their life and has gotten to see how it's different in the United States. Mm -hmm. That could be interesting in terms of how you guys could organize your content as well. Like if you're making, when you're making uh, educational videos or podcasts or whatever, I mean, maybe you could have like, Jim, you could be, uh, um, yeah, the pronunciation segment goes to you and then the cultural <laughs> segment goes to Mike. Cause you, you've got that, you know, those, that experience of people being interested in different things from 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 either one of you yeah, yeah. But it's, it's quite interesting though that they would they would go to you for for, for pronunciation um <laughs> what about the most successful learners what patterns have you observed among the students of yours who have the most success mm -hmm. i think motivation is like one of the the very first things that you notice um with people who are who are successful um, Spanish speakers, they have very clear motivations to why why they want to do this. Um, if it's for travel, then they know. Okay, I want to speak Spanish because I want to travel more and I want to be able to connect with people with the locals. Or if it's for work, you know, like I have co-workers who are from Spanish-speaking countries and I want to be able to relate to them and communicate with them during work. I think that's um, something that I have noticed. And it's also very, um, it's important, right, to know the reason why you want to do something that's going to help you um, keep going, I think, when you have very clear a very clear understanding to why something is important to you, then you're less likely to um, skip a few days because 
you know, it's something important. You want to, you want to uh, accomplish your goal because you have a motivation. So I think that's uh, something that I have noticed. This is uh, something that I've been reflecting on uh, myself as well recently. It's a motivation is a funny one, isn't it? Because it can, it can come and go with time, but it's also mm-hmm. so important to, to try to keep, keep that clear. Because when you know your motivation as well, you can design your learning activities mm-hmm. around that motivation. It gives yeah. you kind of a guidance and a, and a North Star. Obviously, at the moment, people aren't traveling. Everyone's stuck at home. Hopefully, by the time some people listen to this podcast, we'll all be uh, jetting around again. Um, but what are some of the ways that people can improve their Spanish at home right now whilst we're all grounded so that when travel does <laughs> open up again, we are more, more prepared to, uh, to, to, to be able to use the language when we, when we travel? I'd say input is huge. Being able to listen or watch shows on Netflix in Spanish or listening to podcasts. We didn't even get to the part where we're going to mention that we eventually did get back to podcasting. So our podcast is totally in Spanish, but there are so many materials available. I mean, there are tons of podcasts you can listen to in your target language or in Spanish and lots of shows that you can watch. Like we like Casa de Papel and Monarca. There are so many uh, that you can dive into and have a really catchy storyline that m- makes you want to keep going back and watching the rest of it. But also now, you know, online classes are great. There are so many options in terms of online Spanish classes. You know, you have options like Baselang, where it's unlimited classes every month. Or um, obviously, we mentioned Italki and. There are the more social apps too, like HelloTalk and Tandem. I think these are all great options where you can actually still connect with other people, but do it from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, this um, I've always found that um, when there are options for moving around and going out and traveling, I'm less inclined to sit at home with a book. So, so now that we have to stay at home, it is a great opportunity to 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 get all these uh, immersion opportunities that you mentioned, guys. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you thanks so much for the time where can people find out more about you well you can find us on spanish and go everywhere we have the website we have uh the youtube channel we have um like an instagram and facebook page um we're not all that <laughs> great <laughs> keeping up with the uh the what are they? The, the social medias? Yeah, the social medias. <laughs> well, we're definitely much more active on YouTube and yes. on the podcast. Every yes. week we have a new episode of the podcast mm-hmm. that's Learn Spanish and Go, available mm-hmm. everywhere you listen to podcasts. And yeah, youtube.com slash Spanish and Go. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, everyone learning Spanish, go and check out Jim and Mai's um content everywhere. It's it's really, really fantastic. And it's been a pleasure to talk. Thank you so much. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Ollie. Thank you. You know, on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about quite advanced concepts and ideas in language learning. But I also have a series of courses which are for beginners, because actually more often than not, people come to me and say, look, Ollie, I just want to learn this new language as a complete beginner. I want to learn Spanish or learn Japanese or learn French. You know, what do you have for me? And this is why over the last few years or so, I've been developing out this series of courses, which you know, I, everyone claims their method is the best, right? So all I'm going to say about these courses is that I've created these courses the way that I would like to learn a new language myself if I were starting out from the beginning. So, you know, it's it's my thing. It's my it's what I recommend. That's as much as I can say about them. The special thing about these courses, the unique thing, is that you learn through story. 
So, you know, I don't go in for any of these kind of technology gimmicks and apps and flashing lights and funny noises and things like that. I teach you through story. So right from day one, I get you reading a story in the language. You're reading, you're listening, right from the beginning, even when you don't understand very much. And then I come in and teach you through these video lessons. I help you uncover the language from the pages of the story, which is why these, course, these courses are called Uncovered Courses. Spanish Uncovered, Japanese Uncovered, Italian Uncovered. It really is a way to learn the language to a very deep level. You won't get the same instant gratification that you get from Duolingo, but what you will get is a solid foundation and thorough education in the language that is gonna give you all the groundwork you need to go on to become fluent in the language. If you'd like to find out more about these, simply head over to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and look for the courses option in the menu bar. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on courses in the menu bar. That will show you all the different uh, beginner courses that we have uh, in all the various different languages. Once again, that is IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on courses in the menu bar.